This episode is brought to you by our top patrons, by that dirty little bear of a man, BJ DeBlow. He would have started his own podcast, but he was too chicken shit. And if you like the Open Micros podcast, but think Jay is too handsome, then check out the Jester's Court, hosted by Jason's fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn, found wherever podcasts are given away for free. If you like retro video games, then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. And this episode is also brought to us, brought to you from us, <laughs> our lovely patrons over at patreon.com backslash open podcast, including, but not limited to, Derek Diamond, Derek Shirley, uh, Kathy Gutierrez, Figueroa, and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on Patreon, and let's start the show. Here we go. That music can only mean one thing. It is time for the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I am Jacob Craig, and we have another good one for you guys tonight. Because last week, we interviewed the front lady and co-host of the uh, the front lady of the Raylan Nelson Band and the co-host of the Music is Funny Podcast. And now this week, we have the other co-host of the Music is Funny Podcast and the guitar player for the Raylan Nelson Band taking straight rips off of that joint during the <laughs> middle of our the of our ad read and i wouldn't have it any other way it's jonathan bright jb himself how you doing jb look man i think you should introduce me as the front man of the Raylan nelson band too i mean let's not right. let's not get it twisted here right off the top that's true you you are the man who stands frontmost to the stage that's all for you that's all i'm front man yeah. yeah, it's a technicality. I'm not, you know, it's not a, a status thing. It's just that I'm standing as far up front as Ray Lynn is. So, I mean, come on. Right, right. Yes, definitely the front man by proximity. Definitely uh, a guitar player. He's got to have, you got to hog the glory, man. You got to be right up there in the front. <laughs> exactly. I'm not playing bass, motherfuckers. <laughs> but can, can you say motherfucker on this podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say whatever well, you, you want. Well, it's too late now, isn't it, John? <laughs> That's a good, very good point. No, so, we can you can say whatever you want. So tell us a little bit about you. Tell I, I want to know about your musical background because I have musical background as well, and uh, I like to, I love having musicians on the show because I love to hear about uh, basically your origin story. Yeah, basically, uh, I've been in Nashville since 1977, I think. So, yeah, I'm an old dude, but <laughs> moving here and. Uh, I was a KISS fan as a nine-year-old. That was right in my wheelhouse. Wanted to be a rock star, all that kind of stuff. But moved to Nashville and got lucky in the fact that, like, in the early 80s in Nashville, there was this sort of a punk rock, do-it-yourself kind of scene that everybody... There was a band here called Jason and the Scorchers, who were, like, the first big band that busted out of here in, like, the early 80s. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you think about... 
you know, you see Kiss or all that shit, and you're like, I can't do that. But then you see some guys in your neighborhood that go out and do it, and you're like, well, there's a chance here. So, uh, you know, from that point, playing music forever, writing, been in a million bands, uh, writing songs, just doing that whole thing, you know, from when you, when playing in bands to, like, buying recording gear to sort of a quasi-producer kind of thing, recording my own stuff, and then moving in many, many years later, hmm. ran into Ray Lynn, and we ended up forming a combo and doing that. So how long have you been playing guitar? Like, what age did you start? Ah, uh, fuck. I started playing drums, actually, was my first oh. instrument. And, uh, <laughs> so up, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. But I played in, like, the high school band and the drum line and all that kind of stuff. And my first couple of bands that I was in, I was a drummer. But always, like, when I was a kid, we had, a, a, like, three or four dudes that lived within a block or so of each other out in the suburbs. One guy was taking guitar lessons, so he would come over to my house after he took lessons, and I would kind of look at what he was doing. And then MTV at the time had a lot of, like, live rock and roll. Their videos, they, they didn't really know what they were doing. So you, you would catch, like, the Who playing live or whatever, and you can kind of watch the TV, sort of look at their fingers. So as, a, as far as guitar playing, I was sort of self-taught, but it was, you know, you play in a couple bands behind the drums, you're like, fuck that shit, I want to get, you know, you're 17 years old, you're like, I can't pull any skirt from back here, I need to get out front, and <laughs> I, people can see me. I never had any problem with that, I love being back behind the drums, I'm like, man, I'm driving this thing, and I'm staying back here, I don't have to deal with any crap, so I'm yeah, going to stay. <laughs> it's definitely still my favorite instrument to play, honestly, but, you know, like I said, as a 17-year-old, you got to get up there and get some attention. You can't get that much from behind the drums. So, but I always played a like you know, a bunch. Of, any of my friends that were learning how to play something, I would kind of watch them and learn how to play it along with them. So that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, last but- week I uh, I had uh, told Ray Lynn that uh, I wanted to be you got you guys a drummer. And uh, so we've been emailing oh, number, back and forth. Number 15. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to spontaneously combust like, like the other 14 have, uh, like, like Spinal Tap. So hopefully. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, we've been through a bunch of drummers. We started early in Raylan. Like, when we got together, it was sort of a, a time when I was like, I, I've been doing rock stuff my whole life. And I was like, it'd be cool to do something kind of country. And, uh. We happened to be buying vitamins from the same person, and I ran into uh, the guy, and it's like, I, this Willie Nelson's granddaughter is looking for a place to record demos, and I got a small studio here, and uh, I was like, well, yeah, send her over. We'll do some stuff. So, you know, we started, so I recorded some of her demos, then sort of, like, interjected a few courses, this, that, and the other, and it was cool because she'd never done, it was her first band, which... You know, you play drums. You remember what your first band was like, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, her first show was in front of 300 people (laughs) in Nashville. And so uh, the guy that I got to play, this is a long story, but the guy I got to play drums, his uh, brother had been in a bad motorcycle wreck. So we were doing a benefit. So in Nashville, when something like that happens, a lot of people show up. Mm -hmm. And it so happened that uh, Deep Purple was in town recording at the time. So they popped on at the end of this gig to play. That's so cool. Raylan's first gig ever, <laughs> it was not in front of 
not in a basement at your high school friends. Right. It was in front of 300 people opening basically for Deep Purple. And it was hilarious. Like, what she, yeah, exactly. The face you made is the face she made. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Ray Lynn Nelson is the Brendan Schaub of music. Yeah, it was easy. Yeah. <laughs> Except she's good at it. She's at least no. good at the music. <laughs> Gringo Mommy, I guess, is what her first gig was. Gringo Mommy. There we go. Yeah, she, she did tell us that uh, you guys met from um, a guy, you know, who was, who was dealing the same lawn techniques to both of you. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, I don't know what questions I can ask you about that without getting anyone in trouble. But how did how did such meeting like go down like the first time you actually met like face to face? Yeah, it was interesting because we've talked about it since then. And for some reason, she said, I pictured you as a bald guy with a garage with motorcycles. So, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe so. I've just met Jason, but maybe so. But yeah, I don't know why the fuck she picked bald garage, which is weird, and motorcycles, but I had none of that. And but she she did come over and I was, you know, we we recorded a couple of demos and she had a lot of pieces of songs. And again, her first foray into any of this stuff. So it was fun for me because it was sort of like, just like, wow, this is like my first band ever, you know? Like, we're yeah. building something here, building something yeah. out of nothing. And I was completely jaded at that point from <laughs> playing in bands and getting publishing deals and that night through potential record deals not going, all that stuff in the late 80s and the 90s, which is like industry stuff in Nashville. So it was fun to just get with somebody that was just starting out and completely unjaded. Now, to be fair, it didn't take her long to get jaded. I was like, you know, it, was yeah, a, a it doesn't take person. long. <laughs> All you, you get, it really you, does. yeah, it's very and quick. For me, yeah. And for me, it was weird because we were, uh, you know, we, we started to get some stuff together and, uh, like there were some managers that reached out and a couple of labels and just certain people in the industry. And I'm like, man, it's been like 10 years since I've dealt with any of this stuff. I wonder if it's changed. It's all completely jive, but that was back when I was doing it. So let's see. You know, let's see if anything's changed. It doesn't change. And like, no, after the first couple of meetings, it was like a guy that would like push play on the CD player and he would shut his eyes and start doing this. And then after he was like, that's really good. And then he would mention something about an artist that would be great to open for Willie Nelson. I'm like, oh, I see what's going on here, you know? It's just the same old, same. It was the same shit from ten years before, which was eye-opening, but not unexpected. Yeah, I learned very quick. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but uh, I was in a band that was signed to Universal Records and then Imprint Records and uh, bad management and all that stuff. So there's <laughs> really no good people in the music industry. There's like maybe three. In the entire yeah. industry that are decent people. Yeah, they're, you're right. And there's three. I know I still have one or two of them that have worked from all the way through. And I can call and go, this so-and-so is saying this. And like, no, no, not that guy. you know. But mm. there, there are a few good people in it. And it's, you know, I don't want to shit on the whole thing. But you're, you're right. 
It's like they're very good. Like labels are very good. I got a buddy that's a huge, I'm not going to name his name, but like a, produces a bunch of country records, a bunch of rock records. Very prominent producer, but he's like, man, the labels are not good at inventing anything. It can replicate like crazy, but they're terrible at finding the new thing. Oh, they you know? don't want anything new. All they want to do is find one thing that hits and then just cookie cutter that for the, until yes. they just bleed it beyond dry. And that's been you're happening exactly, for decades. You're exactly right. And the meetings we took were immediately into, uh, you know, I like the band. I like what you're doing. But I think if you got in a room with like some studio musicians and softened a lot of the rough edges, you know, here's the old lie. Basically, like, let's take all the charm out of it. and yeah. <laughs> it can't take any kind of individual individuality out of it. Yeah. But the line is, just do that record. We're going to push it out to millions of fans. And then after that, you can do whatever you want to do. That's, that's the out. hook right there is the play yeah. ball, play, do what we want you to do, and then you get to do what you want to do. Right. And then you start doing a little homework and going, all right, so what have they done? And then you look at the people they've worked with, like, well, they never even got that. Yeah. Nobody gets to do what they want to do with this guy because it never gets to that point. And once you go... You know, if you do something that's not you, and let's say you sell a million records or, a, you know, whatever, you get all that kind of exposure. If it's not what you want to do, then the next thing you do, they're all going to turn on you because which, whatever you did was not what you want to do. Yeah. But the, right. the, the, just the numbers game along, alone, you know, the, with the, the record labels, um, just because you get, like, a lot of things people don't understand is, like, just because you get signed, there's still a 99% chance they're not going to do shit for you. Like, yeah. And a, you can't a, do anything with the yeah. stuff you recorded. And there's like an 85% chance your stuff's never going to even come out. And you can't, like you said, you can't even put it out yourself because they pretty much own everything at that point. And you're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think there's like, I think pretty much every musician that we've recorded that, or that we've interviewed on this show is pretty much in business for themselves now because like there's just this been there's been this giant shift in maybe like the last 10 years and the last like five years for comedy of artists just making their own labels putting their own specials out on youtube and like not having an like a middleman entity that they depend on to like put everything out that at the end of the day like if you say something kind of controversial on a podcast they're just going to be like yeah we're going to completely drop you and you know not give you any of the money anymore that we profited off of your product right and i was thinking about that today that was the beautiful thing about the punk rock scene which i was kind of into back in the day is people looked out and like well i'm not going to be fleetwood mac but i can figure out a way to do what i want to do and keep it kind of local or find a, a, an underground circuit. So back in like the late 80s and early 90s, there were a lot of these underground bands that did it, but they had uh, college radio, you know, and the college radio thing would pick them up and play them and broadcast it. And there was a lot of like, you know, the replacements, Husker Du, bands like that that got out and got a decent, uh, a, could make a living out of it. Yeah. And it, talking to you guys that are doing comedy it seems like youtube 
has become the new college radio of mm -hmm. comedy where, you know, maybe you're not going to get a special on Netflix like Bill Burr, but you can put stuff out on YouTube and you can gain a following underground like that. And it kind of opens up, you know, an avenue right. for you guys, too. Well, it's it's all about controlling your own market, too, because like these the people that are putting stuff on YouTube, it's not like they don't have these offers for Netflix and all that. But if they put it on Netflix and depend on that Netflix special, Netflix isn't going to market and produce <coughs> or what and push their shit. But if it's on YouTube, they can push their own shit. And no one can say that that can't be on there. And no one can say that you can't watch that or bury it under an algorithm because that's just not how YouTube works. They can demonetize it, but they're not going to fucking bury it the way Netflix does. And it directly translates to the amount of money that you can make at live shows. Because if right. the, if the 100,000 people that watched your Netflix special, if 10,000 of them live in New York City, you've got fucking sold out shows in that market every time you go there. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like back in the college radio days, if you like, if you own all of your stuff and sell 10,000 copies of your record, you're doing better than signing a label and selling a hundred thousand copies Yeah, because right. just the money works out better in your favor and you still control it. And then in fucking five, 10, 15 years from now, when somebody discovers your song and wants to license it for something, you own all that stuff. You don't have to go through, you know, avenues like, well, the publishing's with RCA and blah, 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 blah. You can just go, yeah, you can use it. Well, I, I don't know exactly who it was, but somebody told me years and years ago that if you could develop a fan base, like, you know, with the, this was in the time of like MySpace and like bands were getting big off MySpace and stuff. And somebody had told me that if you were to get, you know, just get like a fan base of 10,000 loyal fans, you would make more money and be able to live than if you were to sell a million albums on any major label, because all that money's coming straight to you. You're with a major label. And I know this firsthand every, for every dollar you make 99 cents of it goes somewhere else, <laughs> you know, to the label, to the uh, attorneys, to you know, the A&R reps and like everybody gets a cut. And then when you, when the band, you know, there's five people in our band, we get that last penny. We still got to split that five ways. And that's yeah, just, you're fucking, you're broke, dude. Yeah. pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But you're exactly right. If you can, if you get 10,000 hardcore fans that will buy everything you do and like what you do and you can connect with them, then you're way better than signing, you know, there's like, I can't even think of it. I don't even know who's huge now. Justin Bieber, well, he's paralyzed. But whoever, whoever the big acts are now, of course, that's a better, if you can blow up like that, sure. But for the most part, for most people, if you get 10,000 people that really dig what you do and will watch or buy or go see you, you're way better than selling. And, and you have control of it. You don't have to... I mean, you probably know this. You've made make a record, and there's producers that have their fingers in it, and you're playing it for your buddies, and you have to go, yeah, well, and you start making excuses for what it sounds like. You're like, well, I wanted more guitar, but the guy wanted a radio hit, and you know, blah 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 blah. It's it's the worst thing to do to create something and have to half-ass it for somebody else, and to have to make excuses. I'd rather have a record that sold nothing that you had to make no excuses for. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you hit 
dude, you hit way too close to the bone with that statement. You know, when when we went off to to record our album and everything, and we recorded a single for Universal and all this stuff, they changed everything. You know, brought in uh, you know this big time producer to come in and just completely changed everything to where the song <coughs> didn't sound anything like it did when we were playing it. Like up until that point, you know, we get out of the studio and it's something completely different, and we have to tell everybody like, yeah. Yeah, I know it sounds different, but, you know, it's like this is, you know, we got to do what we got to do to get, you know, our stuff out there. Yeah, and there's that uncomfortable part where you're trying to buy into what they're telling you, too. Yeah. And you're like, no, I think maybe this sounds good. So you're telling your friends that, and you know deep down, you're like, this is garbage. Our demos sounded way better than yeah. this shit. We should have put out the demos. And I, I'm like you. I came, my, my roots in being a musician you know, when I was a kid, my, my dad played guitar. So I grew up, I, I, I was born in 77. So I grew up listening to like, my dad was really into the outlaw country in the 70s. He was into 60s rock. So I got to hear all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like the Doors and, and the Beatles. And he was really into like Merle Haggard and Don Williams, all those people. So I got to have all that different kind of music. And then when I started playing drums when I was 13, it was when the early 90s when punk you know, the underground scene, like sub pop records and all that stuff was really starting to hit. So I, I've carried that, men, that punk rock mentality my whole life. It's like, it's just better to do. I would rather go to my grave, never having made a dime, but put out everything I wanted to put out instead of, you know, like putting out half-ass stuff that I'm not really behind. I'd re even with podcasting, like this is <coughs> this is the new punk rock to me. Like I'm I'm doing the yeah. exact show I want to do. And it's the same thing, you know, uh and the cool thing about it is you can make music and shove it up on Spotify or get it out in the zeitgeist and you know it's going to last forever out mm -hmm. there. So somebody could discover it later. Like uh we did a with Ray Lynn, we did a show out and uh, we played the whiskey and we ended up uh doing Mike Watt from the Minutemen, this oh, old yeah. punk rock band. We did his podcast. And Mike Watt is, I don't know, 60-something years old. He just went out on a tour with uh, a couple of other dudes. It's MSSV, and it's sort of like a jazz, not jazz, but punk rock jazz. Mm -hmm. But they played two and a half months every single night, seven days a week, <laughs> For two and a half months, from San Pedro all the way to the East Coast and back, staying and they and they did it with the punk rock kind of a network that they had in 1982 yeah. that they discovered. So all these punk rock dudes and women have gotten older, maybe gotten money, got a house, whatever. Mm -hmm. So they're they didn't buy a single hotel room. Mike Watt, this is beautiful. Got a one pair of jeans, and he buys a uh, poly 100% polyester shirt for the tour, and he wears that every show because sometimes you can't get to a washing machine. You can put it in the sink, and it's polyester. It'll wash it all out. He's got yeah. this whole thing. We jam econo, and it, he's got it like stripped down to the minimalist. You jam, you drive safely, you stay with people. You get up in the morning, you drive more, and you jam. And it's like I couldn't do that now. But it's amazing that from that whole punk rock ethos from back then, this motherfucker is still doing it. He's one of my heroes. I love that dude. That's crazy. I like. I can't imagine doing that 
right now. I mean, I'm only 45 years old, but there's no way I could do that, like staying on people's couches and like just driving across the country. I imagine they're doing it in a van or, you yes. know, <laughs> like no and way. Not even that. If you were staying in five-star hotel rooms but had to play every night of the week for two months without a day off, I don't know how he does it, but it's impressive. Yeah, it's yeah. very impressive. Yeah. That's, that's fucking badass, man. Um, when did you kind of start? Because I know that you're a very hardcore comedy fan, as much as we are and Ray Lynn. Uh, when did you, like, first discover comedy, and when did you kind of, like, gain a love, like a, a hardcore love for comedy? I don't know, man. I, I was always into the, like, when I was a kid, very young, like all the sitcoms, you know, Good Times, Sanford and Son, All in the Family, all those ancient shows. But as far as the art form of Steve Martin was probably my first. And I was a youngster and I had the records. I only got about maybe 20% of the jokes, but I realized he was bigger than life. And then, honestly, we were fans of the Dangerfield specials on HBO, the new comedian special. We caught Bill Hicks, Dice Clay, I forget who, Dom Irera was on it. I don't know, but one of those early ones. But then Bill Hicks, like, I don't know, maybe three months after that, came through town. So we went to Zany's to see Bill way back in the day. Wow. We didn't realize he would turn out to be Bill Hicks, you know. Yeah. But we just liked his comedy specials. And Zany's in town, we probably paid five bucks on a Thursday and went down. And just his delivery, and it was, again, kind of punk rock. He was, you guys know Bill Hicks. And... That watching that and going, wow, this is because I'd seen, I I saw Eddie Murphy on his second tour at a bigger Starwood, his outdoor thing in Nashville, uh, whatever the purple jumpsuit one was, I can't remember if it was Delirious or the other one, but I saw that was probably my first big live show, Eddie Murphy, the fucking shit back then, you know, it was Richard Pryor when I saw him basically, yeah, uh, and then going from that to seeing Bill Hicks at Zany's. It was kind of like it, sort of the musical thing clicked like, oh, these guys are just nomads and troubadours like us. And you got Eddie Murphy, which is like fucking watching Van Halen. And oh, then you got Bill Hicks, which is like watching The Replacement, which is something in a small club. Yeah. And it all sort of kind of made sense at that point. I was, you know, hooked. Well, Bill Hicks is the spirit of punk rock as far as comedy goes. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, Raylan said that your favorite comic was Ari Shafir. That's that's a strong statement. It's only because <laughs> she probably mentioned this and and when she was talking to you that we nobody in the band really agrees on like we can't just play music yeah. in the van. Sometimes we'll play you know music roulette like your choice now like Spotify. All right, your pick now. And that's usually after the gig after people have had a few drinks, but. Generally, on those long drives, it's like we just pull up podcasts and comedy specials. And Ari was a favorite of mine when you brought it up. And she was not a huge fan at the beginning because she's like, oh, yeah. he just screams on the time. He's just angry, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, just stick with Theo was another one I brought up. And uh, for a couple of van rides, nobody was really into it. Like, he's fucking stupid. This guy's retarded. I'm like, just I, no, just <laughs> listen to it. Listen to it. And then, you know, that you, you guys know, that stuff settles in. You realize their oh, rhythm yeah. and what they're doing and dive in. Yeah. So 
she uh she always like Ari is JB's favorite because back then I was like, Come on, let's listen to Ari podcast. Like he's just so angry and screaming all the time. But she loves him now because we had him on our podcast and the mm-hmm. angriest guys are the sweetest guys, you know. Ari Yeah, because they Doug get it all Stanhope. out on stage. <laughs> yeah. Ari Stanhope was fantastic. Nick DiPaolo, hilarious. All these guys are just the angriest ones you would think would be standoffish seem to be the ones that are the most uh i don't know welcoming or soft on yeah, yeah that, that's been a thing in comedy for a while it seems like the the dirtiest angriest comics are the nicest people and the like clean comics who are preaching professionalism and all that are like the huge dick holes who torture interns and bullshit <laughs> exactly <laughs> so what's comedy you guys are in mississippi right yeah we're on yeah, the gulf yeah, coast yeah. so what's it like being a starting stand up and doing it there, what's your scene like? It's uh, it's a lot of bar shows. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. We well, what's, what's going on? No, I just figure that's that seems like that's what every scene is, other than a few standard right. spots. Comedy seems to be in a boom now, and you guys are getting the benefit of that whole punk rock thing. And like, mm-hmm. well, hey, anybody can do it. Let's put our own shows together instead of waiting for a promoter to do it. Yeah. Right, yeah, and the the big benefit of that too is is because comedy's in such a boom, and we've kind of been able to create our own market between us and Mobile, Alabama, which is about an hour away, and then we have New Orleans two hours away, so it's like a perfect run for a comic to swoop through at New Orleans, um, Ocean Springs or Biloxi, Mississippi, and then Mobile. So, like, we've started accumulating, like, these credits of, like, the funniest local openers, features, whatever. You know, I got to open for this guy coming through town. I got to network with this guy, see this guy. This guy did my podcast, whatever. So that's kind of where our scene is at. It's, like, building to where we have a lot of funny local features that you can put up on a show that would be good to, like, go on the road with somebody. But for the most part, it's very small bar shows. It's mostly open mics. Like, there's not a lot of places to get stage time. The nearest club is two hours away. Like, it's not a lot of um, development for, like, young comics. Yeah, I get that. But it also sort of weeds out the chumps because unless you really want to do it, you're there's not, like, a just a standard, you know, if you're living in a spot where there's a huge comedy scene, you... A route you guys you have to make your own path and that that's kind of cool you know yeah, if you make yeah. it that you're going to be a much better comic or musician or whoever a lot of times for- you know just being at the bar shows it's a lot of people are there and they understand that it's comedy and you know that they're there to have a good time but a lot half the time it's you have to fight the crowd basically to, to get a laugh or to, to speak over the crowd because they're just talking over you. And I think it makes you sharper, honestly, from when you do get a good room. Yeah, man. Comedy is like playing acoustic shows because you don't have the benefit of volume. Mm-hmm. You know, because when we go out full band, if people want to talk, they can't. We'll just yeah. turn up and, you know, you only have between songs to... Uh... But yeah, it's... Thinking about the difference between what you guys do and what we do, it's uh, it's brutal, man. You're up there by yourself. You don't have, you can't hide behind anything. Uh, but it's cool, you know. You make it through that. There you go. Yeah. 
we got to tell you guys about B-Res Coffee Company. That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by gamers. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. Yeah, it's it's a lot of like different mindset stuff for me. Like I I'm kind of come from like the the drama or playwright mindset of like no one else knows that I'm fucking up right now. So yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to keep going. Hopefully they don't realize that I'm fucking up. But see, that's what's cool about like our podcast that we've done is we've met just a lot or interviewed a lot of comics like all over the spectrum. And it's interesting how some people are just funny. Some people were comedy fans and worked on it. There's the drama and theater aspect that a lot of people did, like the groundlings and stuff like that. There's so many different ways you can come at it. It is a lot like music, you know. There's, there's so many different kind. You can't really tell somebody how to do it. You can tell them what you've done, but there's so many different avenues and ways to get in. There's, you know, if there was a path that was solid, fucking everybody would be doing it. Nobody yeah. really knows, you know. Right. Well, there's just yeah, there's anything of- in entertainment is this. There, there. You could have the talented, the most talented people in the world, but I think the number one thing you have to have in the entertainment industry is just luck. Dude, me and Ray Lynn argue about this all the time. And I say, that's like, well, you gotta be lucky. And we argue because she's like, no, you've done this. I'm like, no, I'm not saying that, that you're undeserving of whatever you get, but there is a huge element of luck in the entertainment business. Cause nobody can pin down what's going to be successful. And a lot of times it's getting in front of the in front of the right person, and that's just luck. You meet somebody at a party, or you bounce off this that, and it's it, it it doesn't mean there's so many people that are deserving of huge success that didn't get that one last piece of luck, you know. Yeah. And I, I even I made a a tweet not too long ago about I do I was just I think about this a lot about how much like just as far as music. How much good music have we missed out on in the world because of not only just like record company just crap and like bad management and then just on top of everything just you know just not having that that flash of lightning that luck that you know kind of propels you over that hump to where you get like not mass appeal but just out there where everybody kind of gets a chance to hear what you're doing yeah and especially back in the day because there wasn't the avenue of getting at now you know anybody can put out a record and put it on spotify or whatever now the opposite problem is there's so much shit out there that i think maybe the next thing in the industry will be like because you think about i don't know maybe like back in the 60s or 70s were like wolfman jack djs like you could get popular because yeah. your record collection, you knew what all the hip shit was and you played on your show and people would follow. And then it got homogenized. And I'm wondering if now maybe podcasts, comedies, all of it, like the new thing is going to be people that can just, you know, take all that and show you the cool shit 
like yeah. DJs used to do. Like weed through all the shit because there's so much out there, really good stuff out there. But who? Nobody has the time to find it. So that's the new thing. Is like how do you break through all the noise? Exactly. That's a hundred percent what it is. Like that's that's what big podcasts are kind of doing right now. Like Theo Vaughn's this past weekend, like specifically, it seems that Theo every week like has on somebody who is just about to blow up or is blowing up where you're like, wow, if I'm not even a comedy fan, I would listen to this because this guy has his finger on the pulse of like, what's cool, what people want to hear. Like he had jelly roll on like, yep. a, like, like while his songs being played all over the radio, he has Brandon Moreno on right after he wins the title belt. He's, you know, just fucking, he does it over and over again when it seems like, the kind of older podcaster heads are kind of just still having <coughs> on, you know, the same five comics that are on every podcast. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Because, you know, I'm a fan of the big podcast, and they have the same five guys that are funny, whatever. But I do think there's we're reaching a spot to where just – and ironically enough that's what we do just having people on and talking about comedies there's going to be a new thing that's like there's so much of that i don't know who knows what the next thing is going to be but it's going to be interesting to see how it and i feel like people's i mean i sound like an old guy but people's attention spans are getting so much smaller and ray lynn's doing a bunch of reels and it's like wow people want their entertainment in 30 second blasts but yeah. you still got joe rogan that can do a three-hour podcast and i'll listen to you so, it's, you know, it, it's interesting. Right, yeah. I mean, I've noticed that firsthand, like, the few TikTok clips that we've put on our TikTok, like, blew up pretty well because it's just, like, the funniest moment from that episode or, like, the, the, the jokes from that episode, the big laughs. So, like, people don't want to actually sit through and do the work of, wow, this is an interesting conversation. You know, I, you know this person's life is cool. They just want to hear, you know, the yeah. the, the one punchline from the episode. And it's tough for me. It's like being a musician. You're like, yeah, but but I want to talk to these guys for an hour. I want to talk right. for an hour and a half, you know. So I'm just going to do that and whoever follows along. But we've had a, you know, it's been a blast for, for Raylan and myself to do this podcast because it was completely, you know, pandemic related. We didn't have anything to do. And we'd sort of talked about doing a podcast but then there's nothing going on I'm like we should just do that and then we argue we argue all the time we argue back and forth she's like well, we got to start small and we got to get some open micers I'm like why you're really Nelson's granddaughter let's use right. really Nelson's email address and reach out to some people you know and we got lucky it's exactly the same thing I told her last week I was just like you're Willie Nelson's granddaughter just yeah. use that to every advantage Exactly, because you're going to get this world's not going to give you shit. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to get shit on half the time because you're Willie Nelson's granddaughter. Exactly. And anything you gain from being Willie Nelson's granddaughter, you were going to be judged twice as harshly because of that. So you got to be good, but use it when you can. And to her credit, she doesn't fly it by a banner. But to get Doug Stanhope on, we emailed him from. Willie Nelson, our first fucking guest on a podcast, one of my favorite comedians of all time. And I was like, we should basically when we get really good guests is if I've been drinking and she's been drinking in the evening and we just start texting, hey, we should probably try to get so and so on. 
that sounds like a great idea. You sober up, you're like, oh, I can't believe I've done that. But the first one we did was Doug Stanhope. He's like, sure, I'll come on. I'm like, holy shit, Doug Stanhope's coming on. So, Dude, that's something that I have learned from doing podcasting the last two years. Because like for a, maybe a year and a half, we were just doing like local comics, local musicians, kind of regional people. Uh, you know, bigger people that maybe that Jason knows pretty much. I don't fucking know anyone famous, famous <laughs> actors or anything. Jason knows some famous actors. Well, I've tapped, um, I've tapped out every famous person I know at this point. So. Right. <laughs> but I, I've realized that there is no limit to like the however famous someone is, no matter how famous they are, they will do your bullshit little podcast just because they're bored. Like as, as long as you just email them an ass, they will fucking do it. Yeah. It's worked so much just because Dude, I asked. If you don't mind hearing no, which me playing music for 30 fucking years, I've gotten very used to, who cares? You ask, they either ignore you or they say no. And if they ignore you, you keep going back. I think we've only had maybe three. Let's see. Andrew Dice Clay, his management said he's not doing podcasts right now. Same thing from Colin Quinn, who I wanted on because that's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, who was that? Oh, Whitney Cummings. She didn't have the bandwidth for it at the time, which I thought was fantastic, yeah. according to her publicist. And there was one more that asked for money. I probably shouldn't say this. Oh, Sebastian. He wanted to get paid. <laughs> it's out there. I, I think maybe Raylan told me not to mention that, but it's out there. Well, that makes sense because Sebastian's one of those people who, like, does clean and preaches professionalism, so he's probably a piece of shit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. We uh, we don't we don't have to talk about that. He's not going to come on this podcast, anyways. We just, yeah, but we still have a list of people that probably just ignored us that we're going back to now. And like they didn't say no, all they got to do is say no, and we'll yeah. stop bothering. Well, here's the thing: no. even if somebody says no, you might have just hit them on a bad day. Hit them up again Very in like cool. a month or two. They won't remember that you asked before, and they'll just be like, "Yeah, I'll do that." You know, it's a good point. Very good point. And we've started uh, like scanning the Zanies uh, lineup who's coming through Nashville. And I don't want to jinx any of these, but there's a couple of really big ones. Some of my favorites that are coming through in July that hopefully we're going to bring in and be able to do live. So my advice to anybody is just ask that like, you're going to be told no a lot if you're going to be in the entertainment business. So get used to that and then just keep asking and if somebody tells you no, fuck them. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's a very good um, way. Like, if, if anyone's, if anyone hosts a comedy podcast and, you, and you're trying to ask comedians to come on your podcast, first of all, ask me. I'll do it 100% of the time. Um, and, like, look at the comedy clubs that are nearest to you. Because, like, our podcast, like, even though we're not very near the comedy clubs, like, our reach at least reaches to them as far as listenership so sure. i'll like i'll scan like who's coming to the stardome who's coming to uh comedy house new orleans who's coming to uh shenanigans comedy theater and all that and most of the time i'll ask them like hey do you want to come promote your dates on my podcast on local podcast whatever they're like yeah absolutely 100 percent." and that's how we've gotten like ryan knee miller uh sean Patton, like all all kinds of people from doing uh, that. sean Patton's great we've had him on too i love that dude yeah he is the nicest like he has the the best nice to funny ratio yeah. i've ever seen from anybody he's the nicest guy and the funniest <laughs> motherfucker on the face of the earth 
So true. And if you ask them and they say yes, and you do the just the, the minimal amount of research on them or know who you're talking to, that's all you got to do. I've seen some podcasts of people that, that will clearly have not prepared at all. Actually, there's a legendary one that Stanhope did, and it's called, oh, fuck, what is it? Rushmore Podcast. hello Uh, uh, whatever spanky and it's still up but this guy uh the story behind it was this guy has shares the same name as a comedian that doug came up with early on in his career so he gets an email from a guy of the same name saying will you do my podcast and of course doug's like sure turns out it's just some guy from dayton ohio that interviews his friends in the neighborhood. And it's probably four and a half minutes of the most uncomfortable, greatest podcast I have ever seen. And I should promote this. It's called Whatever Spanky. And the guy ended up, story gets crazy. Doug Stanup was tweeting days after that this guy ended up dying because he was driving the wrong way up a one-way street on the interstate, maybe head on, boom, whatever. And he had tweeted about the podcast before and then the family was giving him shit about it. I don't know. But it's still up on YouTube because I watched it the other night. Amazing oh stuff. God. But it's it's a it's a definition of a guy that knew who Doug Stanwood was, did no research, and it was just kind of like, well, uh, yeah, dude, so uh, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's so good. Kind of like the uh, the old Saturday Night Live bit with Chris Farley. He's like, "Hey, remember when he's t- <laughs> he's like that was cool, that was huh? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Remember that time you did that thing? That was cool." Except he didn't have that much. It's you guys should do yourself. It's again five minutes worth of a podcast. One of the greatest things I've ever seen. You said it's on yeah. YouTube because I'm gonna load that up right now and watch it. Called it's whatever it's- Spanky, Doug Stanhope, and it will pop up. I have a feeling. I'm going to watch it later. We should try to get Chris Farley on the podcast, Jason. Yeah, I think he'd do it. Yeah. I think he, he has nothing else going on right now. He's um, like a nice guy. I hadn't heard from, much from him lately. He probably would like a, you know, a boost. Yeah, yeah. A good uh, career resurgence. Yeah. Um, oh, it's probably the, lost weight since. The first thing that pops up is because it says, Watch me bomb with Doug Stan, Stanhope. That, that's it. And Spanky was smart enough to know that he bombed and posted it anyway, which made me love even more. R.I.P. Spanky. That's awesome. Are you? Are, do we have to watch you watch this video? Is this what we're gonna no, do? No, I'm not watching. I just have it loaded up. I'm gonna watch it after the show. Okay, good. Because I have. I like uh, good probably, cringe stuff. Probably, that's why you're friends with me. I have <laughs> just one last very good question. Oh God! Here we go. I got a great fucking answer for it too. (laughs) I bet you do, and I hope you do. Because here's the thing: there's been two philosophies on this podcast through the two years that we've been doing this, and Jason is of of one philosophy, where he thinks that it is never acceptable for a grown person to shit their pants ever, even if they're sick, they have food poisoning, sometimes accidents just happen. And I am of the philosophy that it's okay to shit your pants sometimes, maybe like once every three months, once a month. Who's counting? Because accidents happen, and you know what? Life is too short to not take risks. Jonathan, <laughs> when was the last time you shit your pants, and which philosophy do you belong to? Man, I can't really 
think of the last time I shit my... I think I was too young to remember. I haven't had one of those incidences. Now, I will say this. If I had to pick a side, you kind of had me at first where you're like, I mean, never shit your pants. And you laid out the stuff and you're like, every month or three, I think that might be a little excessive. A month or three. I was thinking maybe every five ten years you get a little older maybe you're in your 60s or 70s yeah, but yeah like you you know you trust the fart too much and it just kind of you know that happens that happens yeah but yeah, you're 20 true. you're 21 years old you should not be 22 <laughs> all right so you're 22 you you're safe i'll give you that because you might start doing cocaine eventually and i've known <laughs> people who sat at the bar and shit their pants because they've done too much cocaine and they just lost it so I, I think as a 20-something, you're safe. I think you should have carte blanche. You should shit your pants if you're just too lazy to go to the fucking bathroom. You're sitting there with your boys. You're smoking weed, watching Sports Center. You got to take a shit. Go ahead. But, man, once you're 30, you got to cut that shit out. You've got you to get it together. There's no more shitting in your pants until you get to 60. I'll give you And that's medicinal. That's medical stuff, not, you know, Sports Center shit. Oh, my God. I do. I, I have some incidents, but I, I have a feeling it's because of my eating habits. And I, I don't know what gave me this um, realization. But today, something happened where I, I stopped before work and I got a, uh, a breakfast tornado, which is, if you don't know. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like if you, if you get those like tornadoes from the gas station that are like um, fucking ranchero egg and cheese or whatever. This is that but with eggs and sausage and like and like onions and potatoes in it. It was really good. And uh, I got it from the honey hole, by the way. Uh, for those of you fa- fans of the show will know the honey hole. Um, and you I were got to- your pants at that point. <laughs> well, I didn't shit my pants today is the is the weird thing. The weird wow. thing was I, I got to work. Congratulations. Thank you. I got to work. I, I clocked in before my piss because I'm not pissing off the clock. I got to work, I clocked in, I go to the bathroom, and I take my pants down, and inexplicably, there's blood in my underwear. Mm. And I don't know where it came from, I don't know whose blood it is, presumably mine, <laughs> but, I, yeah, I put a, when I put them on, there was no blood. Well, there went I the ate. rest of our audience, thanks, Jacob. Uh... <laughs> no, 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 this is content, Daddy. This is what content is. People thrive for this content. You know how many followers Ari Shafir has? He has so much blood in his shit. Constantly. Constantly. That's he not is... normal either. I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah, to be fair, you have like a 21-year-old sphincter. So yeah. blood and shit should be like tightly held in. It's not going to be that resilient when you hit 30, 35, dude. You might be just, you know, it could be trouble. It's it's How already not. Was it 35. You hit 35. No more gas station tornadoes. <laughs> okay. Okay. I can I can, you know, agree to that because I probably won't be alive by 35 because of the gas station tornadoes that I refuse to stop fucking eating. By the way, because they are delicious. And if I have to deal with just a small amount of blood in my underwear, then God damn it, that's what I'm gonna do. Because I'm an American and I love this country. Exactly. If I have to bleed out anally before I'm 22 years old and die that way, I will die in a puddle of my own anal blood with a fucking tornado in my gut, and I will be happy about it. And You're I'm going gonna... to heaven. 
You know you're going to heaven at that point. Oh, I'm so going to heaven. Kid Rock 2024, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to play some patriotic music right behind that and just like, you know, like a, like yeah, a banner of a waving flag behind us all. Thank fucking God. We're on We the People by Kid Rock, dude. Put that up there. Hell fucking yeah. What's your opinion on Kid Rock, Jonathan? Dude, I think the We the People song, which is probably the last one he put out, if you haven't seen it, watch the video. Might be the funniest and greatest thing that I've ever seen in my fucking life. I was sending it to all of my friends. I'm like, I don't know if it's funny or amazing, but I love it. I will say this. It's a pretty punk rock stance to just drop out there and start screaming right wing shit in this day and age. So whether you're not you like the song or not, I give him credit for having balls. Yeah. See, I'm I'm very politically left, like very, very politically left. And I will die on the hill of defending anything and everything Kid Rock has ever said and done. See, there you go. You haven't bled so much blood out of your asshole that you're not thinking straight right now. This is fantastic. Because, yes, it's fucking hilarious. It doesn't matter which side of the political aisle you land on. Fucking hilarious. Oh I just think I that's what Kid makes Rock. America great is you, you, you gotta have you gotta have the crazies and you gotta have you know the people with balls and just say whatever the fuck they want to say and just you know like that's what if, if you if you want to have a lot of fun dig up some we the people reactions oh, from I'm black sure. <laughs> they fucking love it <laughs> love it I'm telling you you will go if you look up we the people reactions. You will go down a rabbit hole and laugh your ass off. Awesome. Uh, I'm fucking here for it. I think uh, you, you sent me down a YouTube rabbit hole for the rest of the night. I'm going to watch it on the toilet while I shit blood. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, it's, it's been so good having you here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a huge personal fan of the Music is Funny podcast. So thank oh, you thanks, so much. Man. Thank you, dude. That's been fun. Yeah, I just started listening to the podcast this week. I really like it, and I love the music you guys are putting out. And uh, hopefully we, like I said, I still want to be your drummer. So if you want me, just send me them songs, and I'll send them back to you. And Might I will be number 15. And I, and I won't uh, spontaneously combust, I promise. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, where can people find your socials? Oh God, I'm terrible at that. I think I got a Facebook page that's looking bright, but uh, I don't do much of that stuff, man. Yeah, look. Well, I know for a fact that at Raylan Nelson Band is Instagram, at Raylan Nelson Band is Twitter, and you can find Music Is Funny on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Yes, I, I will that's say all this, that matters. I will say this one thing: I did a record over the pandemic with a couple of buddy of mine, buddies of mine from this old band called Jason and the Scorchers. We got a buddy that plays in Cheap Trick to play bass on a song. It's called De Paratas. Okay. It's D E and Pirates with an S. I didn't make up the fucking name. I don't know. <laughs> if you like rock and roll, there's another avenue to go check out. But honestly, if you look on my Facebook page, I'm sure I've posted about that shit too. So. Fuck yeah, right. man. I will definitely go check that out. What about uh, you, Jacob? You got any shows coming up you need to throw out there for the people? Man, I don't I don't have any shows right now. Um I've been I've been writing a lot of really good jokes that will probably not be good by the time I take them to an open mic and try I out. Hear, I hear you've been donating bl- a lot of blood to the Red Cross lately too, so <laughs> yeah. that that's cool. <laughs> I've been yes, I've been donating a lot of blood for the the least fortunate 
for so that they can be even less fortunate. Yes. Um, having my blood. Uh, no, You're I think I'm. I'm gonna get free. I, I am a. I am a true patriot. This is what we do in Kid Rock's America, everybody. We, exactly. we, we donate blood any way possible. But, uh, I think I'm going to get freaky with it, Jason. I think I'm, I'm going to write a blog post tonight on our website, wow. www.openmikers.com. I'm going to write a blog post. And uh, yeah, it's going to be our exclusive content for a little while. Blog post. We have um, our Patreon special coming this weekend where we eat hot wings and try to answer trivia questions. And um, yeah, aside from that, we've got a fucking great rest of the month and some killer guests next month. So uh, subscribe to the podcast. Awesome. And I don't have anything to plug right now. I haven't booked anything for the summer yet. So just keep an eye out. Uh, I'm going to go and play the music because I'm going to say that our new website is openmikers.com. That takes you to our uh, website where we can keep up with the show, all the guests we got coming up, uh, the shows we're going to have, all that kind of stuff over there, openmikers.com. Of course, you can still go to our Patreon at openmikers.com uh, at, or patreon.com slash openmikers, and you can keep the lights on here at the show. And we will see you guys next week.